We're very thankful today to be joined by Scott Ward. He is with the Illinois Fraternal Order of Police, uh, Corrections Lodge 263. Mr. Ward, thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Let's get to know you a little bit. I, of course, just stated your name and uh, title, but give us a little bit of your background. How did you come to be in this role that you find yourself in today? Well, I've just retired with a little under 27 years with the Department of Corrections, retired as a sergeant. I worked in uh, co-ed, male and female facilities, and I also sit on a statewide committee chairman for the fraternal order of police and i'm also a board member uh, on the committee for the national corrections committee for the fraternal order of police so i i get a little experience from those areas and you know i, I field a lot of calls from a lot of uh, worried members and with that i try to move forward for them i currently uh am the president of the corrections lodge 263 and i'm also the second vice president for officers across the state uh, we represent approximately thirty-five thousand officers in the state of illinois and when you talk about lodge 263 does that lodge represent uh, the correctional officers here in southern illinois at the various facilities it covers everyone, yes. So we do actually cover county, state, and federal. That's the uh, the actual members that we accept. And we have uh, several in the, the Illinois Department of Corrections specifically. Uh, Mr. Ward, I received a press release from uh, the Fraternal Order of Police that uh, Lodge 263 that you're the head of. Uh, it's entitled Conditions Becoming More Dangerous in Illinois Correctional Facilities with No Plan to Improve the Situation. Um, Obviously, this uh, we know that correctional facilities can be dangerous for IDOC employees. That's their nature to some extent. But can you tell us more about what's uh, happening to make them more dangerous? Well, most specifically in this media release is uh, the synthetic drug issues. I mean, <laughs> as technology grows, so does people's minds on how they want to get high. They've taken these synthetic drugs and put it in a paper form, and they're soaking these papers. And have, as they dry, they become like acid, and uh, meaning they make small doses and they sell them within the facility. They mail them in directly, and it's hard to it's hard to detect them, and it becomes very difficult. And once it gets past the mailroom system, it gets into the hands of the offenders. Then. And it's game on. They, they don't know how much is really on there, how high they can actually get. So it's trial and error with them. And a lot of them that have the fentanyl uh, and K2 base in that uh, liquid format causes these people to fall out. Not only them, but other people that touch that paper and it's porous and gets on their skin, then the officers fall out. And they don't really know what kind of situation they're going into. Um, so, they, uh, again, they don't know if this person's high or cardiac arrest where it's just something simple that they need to call a code for and uh, not worry about what they touch. So they have to be on high alert all the time. And as that happens, then we have to start Narcanning. And that, I can tell you specifically at Pictyville on the 15th, there was approximately six offenders, not counting staff, that were Narcanned from overdose from synthetic drugs in one day, one facility in the state of Illinois. When, or is there a timeline since this has really become more prevalent? I would uh, I would say in the last two years it's gotten to be, and more so in the last eight months to a year specifically. And I know that I've addressed it. I've offered solutions. Um, 
I, you know, I don't have a direct line to the governor's office per se. I have people that I communicate with. I've told those people. I have sent letters to the director's office. I believe that he has plans that he wants to to uh, move forward with. I don't know if it's a money issue or if it's a policy writing issue or, or maybe they're in, involved in, in getting something going. But I can tell you something should have been going a year ago. And that's where I'm. That's kind of where I'm going with this. And it's, it's not only just, you know, my members or, or the correctional officers at stake. The offenders too. And it could be a, it could be an innocent offender that just happens to sell in the same room with somebody that's getting high, and they touch the same paper. So, you, you know, it's it's becoming an issue. So the solutions that I've went to, uh, reaching out to nationally through to Rikers Island, uh, some of the federal facilities across the state as well, some of them uh, did pilot programs where they were just Xerox copying this mail and used the Xerox copy to give to the offender, and then they would destroy the offender's official mail that came in once copies were made. Um, and I can tell you, once that pilot program stopped in the federal system, uh, mainly because of, it was on a 90-day temporary program, and number two was the amount of paper that was and the cost behind it, uh, it stopped. Well, within the first 30 days of stopping that, there was an offender that died from an overdose. First month, one facility. So it tells you that there, this does happen. It needs to be addressed. And... Uh, the other thing that they're doing, uh, which makes a lot more sense, is a lot of the companies that are you know, making these tablets, offenders have the availability to buy tablets at their commissary, and there are other uh, companies that are willing to give the tablets to the offenders because in the long run, they would be purchasing apps that are, would be approved by the department, for, let's say, to watch a specific TV show or to buy a specific uh, type of music that they could listen to um, in their room. Um, and I even believe the technology is where they can actually make phone calls uh, on those tablets as well, which would we could control the limit of who they call, how long they call, how much they call, things of that nature, which would alleviate in the housing unit pressures of all the phones on those houses that are overloaded completely and mostly run by gangs because uh, usually there's only three or four phones in a house and half the time they don't always all function and when you've got eight or ten people in line and you've got chiefs running those houses saying <laughs> if you want to be next it's going to cost you whatever it's going to cost you uh, this would take away from some of that pressure and some of the people making money off these phones uh, that are inside the uh, the day rooms of these facilities. So this is just an idea. And then what they do is take all of the mail to a central location and scan it in an in a area that has overhead uh, ventilation and everybody's wearing the proper PPE gear. People that are specifically trained for this job, you got to remember in corrections, sh- we're, we're so short-staffed in law enforcement these days that you don't know who's going to be temporarily assigned, temporarily assigned into a position, namely the mailroom. So once we receive the mail from the U.S. Post Office, this is a Department of Corrections problem, and you don't know what employee is going to get it that day. And they, you know, I'm not saying that they don't know what they're doing, but there's a lot of protocols to follow, and they change daily with this type of issue specifically. So I can see where they're not following those orders maybe to the T and that's where maybe some of these exposures are happening. But if you could take this to a place 
and there are places that, that do this, that would scan it and specifically email it to those offenders, then they would have their tablets, be able to open their documents and read it like you and I do, safe and free. Everybody wins in that situation. I don't understand why this hasn't happened. Uh, or maybe it hasn't been thought of, or maybe it's in the process of, but somebody needs to explain why we're lagging behind in some of these areas and putting people's lives at risk. Scott Ward is our guest today from the uh, Illinois Fraternal Order of Police Corrections Lodge 263. You mentioned a moment ago the excessive amounts of overtime and the staff uh, shortages that are going on. Uh, What needs to happen, in your opinion, to help alleviate that problem? Well, there's a lot of things. Uh, You you need to take care of the current officers you have. I mean, because you're you're losing them in droves to other state agencies that don't have the mental stress that we have to go through every day, aren't getting mandated two and three times a week, uh, things of that nature. And some of that falls on mental health. Uh, As I stated in here, you you need to look at having uh, some additional mental health days. You you need to look at, uh, for instance, there's been some assaults that have happened here recently uh one specifically at western uh, and there was another one at hill uh they can't return back to work because they're not deemed fit mentally yet through a mental physician and i'm not saying that they don't want to come back to work but they can't and and i know specifically one of them's fear was going back to the same housing unit where the assault happened so there needs to be ideas in, or even policies in place that would ensure that that person's not put back in the same place that he or she may have been assaulted or attemptedly raped or, or anything that would make them, you know, remember that that moment again. And for a period of time, I'm not saying forever, but give them a chance to get acclimated back to the job before you throw them back into the tank. And, and that's, that's really all I'm stating here. Uh, another factor is obviously Look at, looking at a better retirement, you can't you can't walk galleries and expect to hold people accountable. Uh, potentially have to get hands on if there's a tactical situation in your 60s. I mean that's just not a viable age for this for this specific job. That's my opinion. And what is your message to the membership? Uh, you know, we talk about the facilities becoming more dangerous. We're talking about shortages. Part of your job as a uh, head of a union obviously is to uh, have a message to the troops that is, you know, hey, we're going to work through this to some extent. Um, what are you telling folks when they're expressing these things to you about uh, improvements to come in the future, or do you have hope that things are going to improve? Well, I do. I think that uh, people that are put in these positions, uh, meaning positions of decision-making, from directors to chiefs to deputies, I think they need to be a. Uh, I think they need to be able to do their job, and I'm not saying that they can't, but I I think that maybe they aren't allowed to. I think that um, any person that is listening to um, outside rhetoric from people like ACLU, NPR, John Howard, that's always about the offender, the offender, the offender, and nothing is about the staff member themselves and i think at some point they have to take a look at the staffing that they have and how to keep them somewhat happy to keep the staff that they have before moving forward and trying to pick up you know all the 
the new members, well, excuse me, the new employees uh, at this point, and, and, and also selling the department as a career. And, you know, once things clean up and it becomes better, then I think that uh, you'll draw more people into that profession. But you can always rest assured the fraternal order police is always going to have their back as their bargaining unit or as their fraternal, depending on what lodge uh, they are in. And specifically, Lodge 263 is a fraternal lodge. But uh, we will always make your voices known, um, and we'll always make sure your concerns are heard, uh, whether that be through legislators, legislation itself, or specifically reaching out to the directors, uh, whoever that may be, to assist. You know, we don't always have to point the finger. If we can be part of the problem, or excuse me, part of the solution, then I want to help that. Uh, I'm not here to blame anybody. I just want some things to be looked at, considered, and hopefully changes come to play. Scott Ward has been our guest today. Scott, I'll give you the final word. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you feel is important to do so? Well, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of things, but at this point, specifically, synthetic drugs and mental health, I think, are the top two. And then you get back into your assaults and some of the things that are happening that, uh, you know, aren't being looked at, accountability, uh, the, the DR-504 for... That's basically the charging that you could actually charge an offender for, for an infraction. Uh, you know, they've just watered that down so bad where there's like literally no restrictive housing whatsoever anymore. And, and I'm not saying that you always got to pin somebody down to what they want to call solitary confinement, but you cannot continue to allow and give and give and give when somebody doesn't understand the, the word and meaning of accountability. The prison reform itself, you know, has been mostly for the inmate, inmate, inmate. And, and, and unfortunately, like I stated, they have to be held accountable before we can do some of these other things. And I'm 100% for doing them for them. I want to see them rehabilitated. I want to see them be able to go out and be productive and, and, and you know, and have a successful life for crying out loud. I don't know of anybody that wants to hold somebody down to keep them incarcerated the rest of your life. That I don't think that's anybody's mindset, even some of the, you know, terrible thinkers that they believe are out there that work for the department. It's not, it's not that way, but, but by God, you got to follow some rules and it's gotten so far out of hand that they just do whatever they want and know that there's no real accountability and they're never going to be held you know, accountable. And that's, that's got to change. Mr. Ward, we thank you so much for making time for this uh, conversation on such short notice. Uh, again, uh, Scott Ward has been our guest today from the Illinois Fraternal Order of Police Corrections Lodge 263. Scott, thanks for the time. Thank you, sir.